If you would, turn in your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, Amen. whatever you use to read from, to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Got a little bit uh, lengthy reading today, so bear with me. We're going to begin reading at verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock to prepare one for the wayfaring man, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, and if that wasn't enough, God says, I would have given you much more. Let me take a break right there. I want you to notice the favor that was on David's life. God said, I blessed you exceedingly. And then God said, if that hadn't been enough, I would have given you much more, anything you wanted. Friend, this is what it means to have the favor of God. And this was a favor that David was walking in. And I want you to know this is a favor that God wants each and every one of you to walk in. In His immeasurable favor, favor beyond human comprehension, the excess, the overflow, exceedingly abundantly above all you may ask or think. You see, it's this lopsided grace from Almighty God that makes David's sin so much more shameful. David had no excuse to fall to the level of depravity that he did. But yet he does. Let's continue reading at verse number 9. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up adversity against you from your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. 
And then if you would quickly, one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We've been, we've started this new year in a sermon series. We've been talking about getting off on the right foot. And today, friends, it's time to put away the toys. Time to put away the toys. You know, there's a prevailing idea that at a certain point in life that we should grow up, that we should act like an adult, we should put away childish things. Well, when is that? 18? The age of 21? Well, that sounds good, but I think we all know people who are pretty childish at 35 or 40. I'm not even going to mention my sister. So I'm not sure that there is a specific age where everyone puts away childish things because in reality, this is an ongoing process in the lives of most people. Although I do need to say that you ladies usually get to it a lot sooner than we men do. What's the saying? The only difference between a man and a boy is how much he pays for his toys. Well, for my purpose today, the purpose of this message, I want to define toys as the temptations of our youth. The temptations of our youth. Those things that if we're not careful with will taunt and haunt our adulthood. Now, I think you'll agree with me that you never really know someone until you've met their toys. I mean, isn't it amazing how someone can be very mature about this, but yet be totally immature about that? We've mastered completely one area of our life, but then we struggle like a child in a different area of our life. The contradictions in our own human experience. Now, everyone has them. Everyone has them, but most people won't talk about them. And ladies, you need to understand that dating that hottie is not going to tell you everything you need to know about him. Because you see, when we date you, we have our armor on. But when you marry us, surprise, that's when you find out about all the dents and the cracks. And ladies, you may laugh at that, but let's be honest, you guys do a little bit of camouflaging also. You unwrap the package. Surprise! How many remember Cracker Jacks? Do they still have Cracker Jacks? Do they? Well, you'd eat the caramel popcorn, and then when you get to the bottom of the box, you'd get a surprise. But sometimes that surprise was a disappointment. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> let that. Let that rest. Well, there's a contrast, I believe, that exists in the life of David that I think is a parallel in the lives of most people. You know, David was just a boy when God saw him and said, you are a king. God told Samuel, I found a man after my own heart. God called David a man when he was just a child. God called him a king when he was just a kid. 
which leads me to believe that there is a king in every kid. David was just a boy, but there was a king inside of him. And you know, all of us are attracted to people who see the king in us. Anytime someone says to you, you are great, you are wonderful, I see great things down inside of you, we never hang up the phone on them. We let them talk as long as they want to. Listen, if you want to be a great conversationalist, just talk to someone about them. They'll enjoy visiting with you. You see, because there is a king inside every one of us that wants to be acknowledged. And there's nothing wrong with that because after all, each and every one of us, we are created to subdue and have dominion. God instilled that in us, and so we shouldn't let life take that away from us. And so if it's true that there's a king in every kid, well, it's also true that there's a kid in every king. Even the greatest, strongest, and most successful people you know, there is still a kid down inside of them. And I'm not suggesting that, that all of that kid needs to be destroyed. I'm not suggesting that at all because I've seen people who crack under the pressure of always trying to be a superhero, trying to live up to the expectations of other people, and they've lost the enjoyment of life. They don't know how to have fun. I mean, they are so serious. I mean, they're so serious, they'll make your face hurt. I mean, there are some men in here right now, along with some of you ladies, that if you would smile, five teeth would fall out of your mouth. Wives are poking their husbands. Husbands are poking their wives. And all the single people say, he's not talking about me. <laughs> Perhaps you've seen couples. And one of them is, is very distinguished and attractive. And, and while the other one is uh, not. And you wonder, how in the world did they end up together? People say that about starling me all the time. Well, then you find out what the formula is. When you, when, when you hear that, well, he made me laugh. Or, or, or she's really sweet. Or they're a lot of fun. And then people think, is that all it takes? Women want to pull their lip up over the top of their head because they've been at Jenny Craig for years. They've got an expensive makeover. They've had a tummy tuck. And then they find out that all you have to do is be sweet. I could have been married 10 years ago. Hey, well, guys, it's for us too. When we're young, we have this long list of requirements that we have to have in our woman. But then as the pressures of life get so heavy, we're bombarded with problems day in and day out. Then we say, oh, well, that's not so important. Oh, yeah, no, no, that's not such a big deal. A little makeup will go a long way. So that's okay. I can put up with that. Just give me some peace. Just don't drive me crazy. The rest of it we can work out because I can take a little ugly in exchange for a little sweet. No offense, babe. I'm not talking about you. No, 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 no. 
But now, hey, you know, let's be honest. Just give me a half a cup. I, I don't want a whole cup. I can take a half a cup of ugly if you've got some nice to go along with it. And it's because enjoying yourself becomes more important as you realize this life is a precious commodity and you're running out of it every day. Some things that used to be really important are not so important. It's not hard to find someone who loves a king in you. The difficulty is to find someone who loves the kid in you. Now, there's no problem with the kid in you at all. Because like I say, it'll keep you young. Keep the teeth from falling out of your face when you smile. But the only problem is there's a part of that kiddishness, if left uncontrolled, will destroy your kingliness. Surely you know what I'm talking about. The propensity for that childish behavior, those tantrums where you fly off the handle and go into that fit of rage. You may try to sell it off as the Irish in you, but all you're doing is letting the kid in you destroy the king in you. We've all faced those reckless temptations that we know better than to give in to. And one moment of kiddishness can destroy years of kingliness. We've all faced those dilemmas where we should say, Lord, don't let the kid in me destroy the king in me. Don't let me do something stupid. Have you ever done something stupid? Someone's needs to come to the altar over here. I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood, but I heard it. Not me. You either need to come to the altar or you're two years old. Just kidding. Hey, I'm no one's judge. The second part of our text today, the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke, I thought, and I understood as a child. You know, young children, they can't make the distinction between what's yours and what's theirs. If it's bright and shiny, a baby will reach for anything they see. A toddler thinks everything belongs to them. And it's because they have no concept of ownership because after all, listen to me, after all, it is childish to go after stuff that is not yours just because it looks good. So back to our story. In our text, David is who is too young to have dementia but too old to be this childish, is struggling with his childish propensities. He's the king, the aristocracy of Israel, the epitome of what a king should be. All that come after him will be compared to him, and even Christ will be called the son of David. As I said, he's a man after God's own heart. He's mighty in battle. And yet David slipped into some childish behavior and he looked down from a roof when, by the way, he should have been off doing his kingly duties. He looked down from the roof at a beauty who was bathing. Most of you know the story. And in a moment of toyish, boyish temptation, it exerted itself and his human weakness began to fall vulnerable to his childish toys. And so now we have, as my grandma used to say, a situation. 
We got a situation. Because the king is now struggling with the kid. Have you ever been there? Now, I know you can't say anything because your husband or your wife is looking, seeing if you're going to nod. So just, just, just keep looking straight ahead. Don't nod. Just look like you're appalled. I would even ask such a ludicrous question. David didn't know how to stop himself. He didn't know how to control the kid in him. He didn't know how to be mature. Now, understand, friend, that being mature doesn't negate either extreme. Being mature is being balanced between not letting the king or the kid consume either side of your identity. Balance. That is maturity. But yet sometimes we slip to one extreme or the other. And this was one of those times. So now we have this situation. Because David slept with Bathsheba, a married woman. And when she came to him and said, I'm late, she didn't mean for lunch. <laughs> like I said, a situation. So the king is in a crisis over the kid, and now he does another kiddish thing. In a panic-stricken moment, he comes up with a foolproof plan. He said, I can get out of this if I bring her husband Uriah home from battle. Uriah comes home, and David urges Uriah to go spend some time with his lovely wife. But instead of going home, Uriah sleeps outside of David's door, refusing to sleep with his wife because he feels uncomfortable with celebrating while other men are suffering. What David didn't count on was the level of Uriah's commitment to his men and to the king. Now David has a real dilemma because had Uriah slept with his wife, then the dates would almost line up with the other situation, and then David would be in the clear. Have you ever tried to plot your way out of a mess? That's right. It never works. Learn that now. And David is trying to plot his way out of this, and it's not going well. Things are not lining up. In fact, they are getting worse. Because David, who was first a luster, then he became a fornicator. Well, now he's playing around with the next step. And James chapter 1, verse 15 tells us that sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. David hatches a plan to send Uriah back to the front of the battle, but then retreat from him so the Ammonites would do David's dirty work. That dirty dog. David had a tiger by the tail, and now Uriah carried his own death sentence to battle because the king could not control the kid. Now Bathsheba is pregnant. Uriah is dead. But with David, it's business as usual. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh, my, what a beautiful day. Things are going well. The kingdom's progressing. He pulled it off. He got away with it. He got his own way. 
until one day there's a knock at the door. My Lord, the prophet Nathan is here to see you. Listen, friend, every person needs someone in their life who has the right to confront you about your behavior. Someone who can say to you, what were you thinking? Have you lost your mind? You need someone who can say, man, you are crazy. We all need someone in our life who can call us out. Now, it can't just be anybody. It can't be a self-appointed Nathan. Those are a dime a dozen. Everybody knows your business better than you. But we all need someone who can speak truth to us, who cares about us, just doesn't, not, just doesn't care about being nosy or gossipy, but really cares about our well-being. Mama's not enough. Your soulmate's not enough. But we need someone because iron sharpens iron. Nathan comes to David and he says, my king, there's a situation that I think you should deal with. David said, what is it? Nathan said, there's this guy who has all kinds of livestock, but, but his poor neighbor has nothing but a little ewe lamb. He's raised and he's nurtured this lamb. The lamb played with the poor man's kids. The lamb was like a daughter to this man. Well, a rich man came to visit this guy. And rather than take from his own flock, the rich guy takes the poor man's lamb to make lamb chops. So Nathan says, what should be done about him, king? And David said, this man should die and pay back the poor man four times. Aren't we great at judging other people's sins? Most of us have a master's degree in it. And many of you, even a PhD, you do it so well. It's interesting how we always know what ought to be done about someone else's situation. You know, if most of us were ever judged by the judgments we execute on other people, we'd all be dead. If your child was judged the way you judge mine, your marriage was measured by the way you measure mine. Isn't it funny how people will judge you about something they're guilty of? You see, David had the ability to see the splinter in the other man's eye, but he couldn't see the beam in his own. You see, when there's no one to challenge you, we lose all perspective, and we start believing our own resume. We believe the press that's written about us, thinking that we're more special than we are. Pride comes before a fall. I believe that's in the Bible, isn't it? David says, this ought to be done. That ought to be done to the guy. And Nathan says, you are that guy. Picked up a mirror. Showed him to him. See, David didn't realize that God had seen everything, and he knew about the kid and the king. And the second thing was that David didn't realize how much God had blessed him until Nathan began to say, David, you were nothing. You were just a shepherd boy. Nobody knew about you. When God brought you to the forefront, he gave you your master's house. He gave you your name, and he gave you your reputation. 
Isn't it funny? Most of the time, we don't realize how good God has been to us until we compromise and threaten the goodness of God in our life until we brought ourselves down to the point where we could lose it all. And then all of a sudden, it becomes valuable because we're about to lose it. I guess that's just me. I'm very guilty of this. You know, life becomes valuable to people who are dying. All of a sudden, they enjoy sunsets more. They say, well, it's raining outside, but, but it's beautiful in the rain. Because suddenly their life has been challenged. A marriage becomes more important when somebody, that special somebody, is about to leave you. And you say, you know what? My marriage wasn't so bad. I wish I would have kept it together. A job becomes more important when it's gone. We have the tendency to take the blessings of God for granted. And God forgot, and David forgot to be thankful about how good God had been to him. Listen to me. One of the worst things a person can do as God raises you up and blesses you is for you to allow the problems of your day-to-day life, of your success to overwhelm the blessings of your success. Amen. Yes. Amen. That's good. Yes. And we fool around and become unthankful. Right. You start complaining about needing an oil change or the tags due on the car. But you forgot you didn't used to have a car. I can't believe how much our taxes are on this house. Man, five years ago, you didn't even have a roof over your head. They want me to work all the time. They want me to do everything. They just keep piling up my desk. And you're the same person who was begging God for this job. This is very interesting. In Romans chapter 1, take some time and read it. It talks about adulterers. It talks about murderers. It talks about envy and strife. And along with all of those hideous things, it lists being ungrateful to God. David's sin along with the adultery and everything else was being unthankful. When everything had been compromised, suddenly David recognized that God had really been pretty good to him. God reminded him, I gave you Israel, I gave you Judah, I protected you from your enemies. And if that hadn't been enough, I would have given you much more. God says, you haven't even tapped into all the blessings that I would give you if you would have asked me. Friend, listen to me today. Being blessed doesn't mean you don't have problems. It doesn't mean you don't have struggles. But through it all, do you recognize that you are a blessed person? Blessed to walk in Him. Blessed to be alive. Blessed to have your health and your strength. Your body works reasonably well. Your kidneys, your lungs, your heart function reasonably well. You haven't lost all of your mind, but yet the enemy is trying to tell you that you, are, that you don't have anything to be thankful for and that you're not blessed. Friend, if we don't appreciate what we have, we're not going to recognize its value until we lose it. We best not forget to be thankful. Well, now David's sin has been confronted and judgment must be executed. 
Nathan says, thus says the Lord, the sword will not depart from your house. Your children are going to rise up against you. Your relationships are going to be destroyed. You did this in secret, but I'm going to bring you to an open shame. You will be embarrassed. I will humble you. And so now David, he's he's dealing with the kind of praying that, that even really unspiritual people do. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of praying, oh, Lord, Lord, if you'll just get me out of this. Lord, Lord, I know it's my fault. I was like, oh, God, I know I've been stupid. I know I've been stupid. I know I didn't serve you like I could. God, I acted like a fool. God, I love you. And if you'll get me out of this, I won't do it again. God, I won't even jaywalk. (laughs) And you sound like a kid. You start negotiating with God like a kid going to the woodshed. Mama, 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 I won't do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. Don't spank me. Don't spank me. I won't do it again. Judgment will make you pray the kind of prayer where you know you're in trouble. Have you ever prayed scared? Oh, God, God, get me out of this. Lord, please, please get me out of this. I know I shouldn't have, smoked. I shouldn't have been smoking all those years. Now they found a spot on my lungs. God, get me out of this. I don't want any more cigarettes. I don't want any more cigarettes. And you start tearing them up, tearing them up right there, right there, right there. God, I'm through. God, I'm through. I don't even want a fireplace. I don't want any smoke in my house. I don't want any smoke anywhere. Listen, I'm not talking about being anxious. I'm not talking about having anxiety. I'm not talking about stress. I'm talking about fear and being petrified. And this is the way David was praying. He said, God, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Because Bathsheba has given birth and the baby is sick. And so God is dealing with David, but yet David is still trying to deal with God. Have you ever tried to play let's make a deal with God? My hand's up. My hand's up. Let's make a deal. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. You see, what has happened is that God has allowed David's kiddish behavior to be exposed before he goes any further into the kingdom. God confronted it now so that he can correct it before it totally destroys David later. And friend, God will put you in a mode of correction before the kid in you destroys the king in you. Now, the Bible says that no correction seems to be joyful for the present. And when God starts correcting you, it is a painful thing. You haven't had your hind end whipped until God picks the switch. And when God picks the switch, he knows what kind of switch is needed to bring you under control. You think you're bad, you think you're tough, you think you're the master of your own fate, that nobody can control you. Friend, God can control you. God knows how to deal with you, and he will deal with you when the time is right. Don't wait until God has to deal with the kid in you. It's much easier when we deal with the kid in us. But now the kid is on the altar. His baby is dying. He's been humiliated. He doesn't know if God will work with him again. He's praying, but he's still not praying right because he's praying that God would let the baby live even after God has told him the baby is going to die. Sometimes we put a lot of energy in asking God to keep something alive that needs to be put to death. We try to resurrect something that should have been left in the graveyard because... It is toxic for us. 
God knows what's better for us better than we do. And David is trying to hold on to something that God is going to take away. I wonder if anyone in here is trying to hold on to something that God is trying to take away from you. The hardest thing was to get David to see the severity of his own sin. Because of the kid and the king, David went from lust to adultery and from adultery to murder. And he compromised God's favor. And now, his baby is dying and he's weeping on the floor. But you see, the key to gaining back God's favor is that you have to be able to truly repent. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow. Not the sorrow that we have that we got caught. But godly sorrow, the sorrow that we have that we actually did it. It's the ability to say, I'm wrong and I'm sorry and I'm ready to change. It's a grace that God gives us to repent. We cannot repent without godly sorrow. To find that place of repentance is a gift from God. And when David heard that the baby was dead, he got up, washed his face, changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord. God was ready to restore him. David wrote in Psalms 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when I got the word from heaven that I was forgiven. I was glad when I found out that God would wash me and restore me. I was glad when I found out that God would give me back what I lost. I was glad, so I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter into his courts with praise. I will be thankful unto him and bless his holy name. I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. I will praise, praise my God for his grace and his forgiveness. The kid and the king cried out, and the Lord heard him and delivered him. Friends, if there ever was a time, it is now to put away our childish toys. Bow your heads with me. There's an old song that says it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is calling you to repentance. You could have been as wrong as two left shoes. You could have done horrible things. You could feel ashamed and drained. Or it could be something that's not near so severe in our own mind, but that is equally severe to God. And perhaps you've just been ungrateful. But whatever the situation is in your life, 
Whatever the toys are in your life, the devil will try to tell you, listen, you've made a mess. There's no way God wants you. You've messed up your marriage. You've messed up your career. You blew it. But I want you to know the Lord loves you, the king and the kid. He loves the right and the wrong. He loves the weak and the strong. God loves the bruised and the broken. And so if you need to repent today, if you need forgiveness in your life, would you raise your hand for God to do that? Yes, thank you.